Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. And now, the list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasaba, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news paper since 1971. Bonus time with the Ben Jarofsky show. As I speak, it is, what is today, man? I don't even know what day it is. Oh, Wednesday, <laughs> Wednesday, August 9th. As I was explaining, our distinguished guest was waiting on. I usually have a newspaper with me, but for reasons unknown, my newspapers didn't get delivered today. I'm like an old baby boomer lost, man. I'm going to have to use the phone to tell you what's going on in the world today. I feel so lost. Oh, my God. I'm confused. But I'll carry on. I will survive to quote Gloria Gaynor. Uh, so, yeah, this we'll be talking about this uh, on another show <clears throat> in great detail. Uh, I love this on so many different levels. Uh, but here's the headline from today's New York Times on the phone. Sure, my distinguished guest. I know how to use a phone. Uh, Ohio voters saw a political sleight of hand in the referendum. <laughs> I love it, man. Ohio voters. Uh, that's headline in the New York Times are being clever. Uh, and, of course, they're talking about the referendum that took place yesterday, Tuesday, uh, in the state of Ohio. Uh, and uh, this one... Um, uh, so this one disproves uh, the Mayoram axiom of voters uh, and the Mayoram axiom of voters and theory of voters. Uh, so named for the former mayor of the city of Chicago is that voters are morons uh, and they must be moronic because they elected me not just once, but twice as the mayor of the city of Chicago. When they saw how horrible a mayor I was. Uh, closing schools, closing clinics, just doing a horrible job of just meeting the needs of ordinary Chicagoans because I'm so clueless about Chicago. Uh, and my political views have nothing to do with what anybody in the city of Chicago wants. They doubled down and reelected me, thus proving that more <laughs> voters are morons. Well, Mayor Rahm, you may be wrong when it comes. You may be right when it comes to Chicago voters, or at least in 2015. But you were wrong uh, in the case of Ohio voters uh, and uh, so anybody who listens to this show knows, but I'll just repeat it. Uh, so they have a referendum yesterday uh, that was intended to raise a threshold from a simple majority to 60% to pass a statewide binding referendum in the state of Ohio. Uh, 
Uh, that's because in November, there will be a statewide, binding statewide referendum uh, on the ballot in Ohio guaranteeing reproductive rights for women or ensuring some portion of reproductive rights from women in the state of Ohio, which is notoriously backwards in this uh, area, as indicated by that horrific uh, moment last year, I think it was, where a 10-year-old girl uh, was raped uh, in Columbus, Ohio, and she had to go to Indiana to get an abortion. When you go to Indiana, when Indiana is a beacon of hope and enlightenment, then you know things are bad. Uh, so folks in Ohio said, that's it. That's enough. Uh, we're going to change the law to protect uh, reproductive rights on our own. And MAGA and the Republicans responded with their own referendum, another uh, an attempt to undercut November's referendum. Uh, and then when they, it like everybody saw through it, the uh, Republican leaders in, in Ohio, no, no, this is not about abortion. This is about, you know, making it more difficult. I don't know. They just started talking. You know how politicians do that little soft, soft shoe they do when they want you to, you to be deflected? Don't look here. Look there. If you want an example of it, just take a look at what Northwestern University is doing with their hazing scandal. Don't look here. Look there. <laughs> And, you know, the voters in uh, Ohio saw through it. They go, no, no, this is about abortion and uh, we're not playing. I think the last time I saw it was like 57 or 58 percent, something like that, uh, voted against the Republican driven initiative to raise the threshold. Uh, And so it's going to be a a winner takes all uh, showdown on uh, reproductive rights in Ohio in November. So good for you, Ohio voters. At the moment, anyway, you're a little smarter than Chicago voters. All right, without further ado, I'm going to ask my distinguished guest who's patiently waiting by to introduce himself, and we're going to talk about something completely different. Distinguished guest, introduce yourself. Hey, I'm Lior Galil. I'm a senior staff writer of the Chicago Reader, and I focus largely on music. Yes, that last point is the key point. That last <laughs> point is the key point. And it's been too long, Lior, since you've been on the show, so welcome back, Cotter. Um... I am going to read, this is what got me to call Lior, uh, I think it was Saturday, I can't remember Lior, I've lost track of time. Uh, Lior writes a newsletter, your newsletter comes out Wednesdays, am I correct on that? Or Wednesdays generally, yeah, yeah. Wednesdays, okay. Mine comes out on Tuesdays, duh, Ben. Uh, all right, uh, so the latest um, newsletter from Lior, and I'm reading this quote, uh, he's talking about Lollapalooza, the recently uh, concluded music festival in Chicago. Few of the hundreds of names slated to perform this week have clung to my memory since Live Nation subsidiary C3 Presents announced the Lollop lineup in March. In April, the Hollywood Reporter published a story noting that Live Nation CEO Michael Rapino had his total compensation package raised to $139 million the previous year. One hundred and thirty nine million. You could hire a lot of reader writers for one hundred thirty nine million dollars. And that's just one year. Uh, This bit of news came after I spent several months interviewing local indie musicians about the current touring landscape and all the variables that make it nearly impossible for emerging and middle class musicians to reliably earn income on the road. I continue to wonder why the CEO of the largest live entertainment promoter in the world makes so much off live music when an incalculable number of aspiring musicians must take on debts in order to tour for a couple of weeks. I read that paragraph, Lior, and I reached for the phone. Um, And um, well done. Uh, It's something I've been thinking about for a long time. 
uh, as I look at the strike in uh, in the in Hollywood with the writers uh, and the actors, and I'm wondering when is it going to happen with the musicians? When are the musicians going to get it together to protect their interests because they're getting crushed uh, right now on many different fronts? Um, so why don't we just start with Lollapalooza and your analysis of Lollapalooza, just as sort of a financial thing as opposed to the festival itself, Guff. I mean, that seems to be the only, the main thing that people in a position of power celebrate it for. It's a big money maker. Um, and that, that serves no interest to me. That doesn't say anything about culture or music in this city. The festival books close to 200 acts. It's four days long. Uh, most, you know, I think there were maybe five acts on the lineup this year who are from Chicago, and those are really small acts. It's not like headliners or anything. And that's aside from uh, there's this Made in Chicago showcase that DK's programmed last year. I'm not sure if they prog- programmed it yet this year, but that booked, you know, a handful of acts to only play on Sunday afternoon. Uh, that's that's the kind of thing that makes me really uncomfortable because the city is further enmeshing itself in this event put on by the single largest promoter in, in the of live music in the world. And that's what, what bothers me about the festival. Music is um, not the, you know, the end all be all of it. This is, this is how it attains power. This is how it has a strong foothold in the city. Live nation. You know, if you look at grand park and all of the closures of grand park to the public this year, there is some sort of connection to live nation or C3. Um, the Swainos Music Festival, which which had its second year at uh, on Memorial Day weekend in Grand Park, is a Live Nation booked event. The NASCAR race, NASCAR partnered with Four Leaf Productions, which was launched in 2020 by a former C3 promoter, one of the you know one of the the leaders over there. Um, his name is Pardon me, <laughs> I'm looking over my extensive notes right now because I want to make sure that I didn't forget this. Charlie Jones, uh, who launched Four Leaf Productions. He attempted to throw a festival in uh, Lincoln Park last summer, actually, called Versa. It was a uh, multi um, multimedia music festival. It was music. There were chefs. It was an all-female lineup. They announced the lineup and, sold, and started selling tickets in March. It got mysteriously canceled a week later. Um, but Four Leaf Productions partnered with NASCAR to do all of the... Uh, all of the events for the street race that had nothing to do with the street race. So they booked all the acts to perform. They, you know, they set up the infrastructure for all of the non-track uh, <laughs> events for NASCAR. So all this is tied into, again, the single largest promoter of live music in the world, having a an outsized hand in what happens in, you know, the crown jewel park of the city. Uh, and these are decisions made without much uh, transparency to the public, which is a challenge. I mean, last year, the city booked, uh, you know, a new 10-year deal with all Tavlalapalooza uh, with almost no transparency. You had aldermen who <laughs> who are overseeing that neighborhood, who are overseeing that park, who are complaining about that. That's a real issue. Um, so as much as money is, is you know, the, the reason that a lot of people in power celebrate it, the, the power is what concerns me about that festival. Uh, in addition to the fact that I just don't think it has much of a... Uh, a cultural importance as so many other events that happen in the city that are grassroots or that are thrown by the city itself, DK's 
you know, DK's has all these uh, legacy festivals. It has Blues Fest, Jazz Fest, Gospel Music Fest. A handful of years before the pandemic, it launched House Music, the you know Chicago House Music Festival, which was huge. It was huge. It was it it expanded into I think a three day thing that you know was in Millennium Park and had multiple stages. And you know I I showed up at two in the afternoon for the first year, and within two hours you couldn't get in. Once the pandemic hit, uh, it didn't return to its same size. That took place over Memorial Day weekend in 2022. Live Nation, you know, debuted its festival that same weekend in Grant Park, which uh, I've had real trouble trying to <laughs> get any sort of of FOIA FOIAble information about the decision making process behind that and what the impact of that on the House Music Festival, which this year was a single day in Humble Park in the middle of June because that's I guess just what would happen to be available. Um that's that's sort of my my long winding tirade about about Lollapalooza. Tell me a little bit more about Live Nation. Sure. Uh, who runs it, uh how long they've been around and what kind of control do they have over the music industry? Sure. I mean Live Live Nation uh I can't tell you how long it's been around. I haven't done that research, but in 2010, it very critically uh, purchased Ticketmaster, um, and that gives it uh, a hand over pricing. Over you know, the Ticketmaster has been investigated a couple times for monopolistic behavior. So it's Live Nation, particularly since 2010 when this deal went through. Um, it is now facing another potential um, legal snafu with the Department of Justice because of ticket ticket gouging, because of so many issues with Ticketmaster. You know, the, the uh, Live Nation often uh, makes venues use Ticketmaster as the ticketing platform for certain artists. Live Nation manages more than 500 artists owns a heap of venues throughout the country so it's it's able to and and throws its own festivals so when a single company controls the uh or you know manages artists who perform at venues that it owns that you have to purchase tickets through its ticketing platform to see the you know we suffer uh more more than anyone else if you want to see you know the the beyonce tour was promoted by live nation it came to soldier field which is actually owned by aeg which is the second largest uh, live music promoter in in the country, um, and there's actually a pretty interesting snafu with that. A couple of years ago, according to a Billboard story published in March, uh, AEG and Live Nation agreed to loosen Ticketmaster's exclusivity on uh, requirements for ticketing in 2021, um, but it allowed AEG's facility management division ASM uh, to uh, have a provision. That granted AEG the rights to use AXS, which is its ticketing platform, to sell tickets to AEG, AEG shows at ASM venues. Um, AEG also promoted the Taylor Swift tour, um, which stopped at Soldier Field. The Taylor Swift tour has been this kind of flashpoint because ticket bots, because of, of scalping, made the prices that were already pretty high astronomical because uh, of a variety of, <laughs> of reasons that, you know... Uh, I don't understand the specific technology involved in in uh, that people are able to like buy a block of tickets and attempt to resell them. But essentially, the you know the the issue here is like two very large companies have an outsized hold on the marketplace. Um, is is am I am I talking in circles? I'm sorry about. That. No, I uh, I'm wondering if it's it's uh, possible to go back in time. I suppose it's not, but just have uh, one site 
ticket purchases. So let's say you want to, let's say uh, Taylor Swift's playing at Soldier Field uh, and they aren't selling them online. You just got to go to the Soldier Field box office. Uh, I know, man, I'm, this is like ancient history, but that's how it, <laughs> that's that's how I remember. I, I remember that or, yeah, yeah, I ahead. remember that in the early 2000s. Yeah, people would camp out for, you know, the biggest tours. And uh, obviously that that benefits the people who have the capacity to camp, to camp out and who can afford those tickets. But, uh, you know, it definitely simplifies things in, in a certain way. But those were often, I remember a lot of those shows were sold through Ticketmaster. And that was before the, the you know, the the purchase by Live Nation. Um, so, again, you know, uh, the consumer, right, so as it were. There's there's no going back in time. This is the reality. We buy online. Uh, and uh, if you control the platform that sells the tickets, you control, you pretty much dictate the terms that, that people have to follow in order to purchase the tickets, which means fees uh, added to it. Uh, and um, that's just the way of the world right now. Uh, all right. And so now we have this huge festival once a year in a Grand Park, as you said, prime real estate right there uh, on the lakefront, uh, closed off uh, from the public. That's always kind of rubbed me the wrong way. But I'm not a fan, as you know, Leo. We've had this conversation many times of the type of popular music. Let's just call it for what it is. Uh, and so... I just kind of grin and bear it. I'm wondering like, what the contribution of Lollapalooza is to the city of Chicago, uh, just in terms of making money for the city of Chicago, bringing attention to the city of Chicago, and uh, to the point that you seem most interested in, adding like a cultural benefit to the city of Chicago in terms of the, the artists, the performers that come there what they contribute uh, to the city. So why don't we just start with that last point first. You seem to think that it sort of stifles the creative scene in Chicago by having this huge four-day festival with the performers, uh, the particular performers they have. Take it away. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of challenging. You know, for years, there was the um, uh, the clause that prevented artists on who were playing Lollapalooza from performing in Chicago for six months leading up to the festival and three months after, uh, that's been, the radius clause has been, you know, diluted over the years. Uh, artists who perform at the festival have managed to play in town before that, uh, you know, sometimes within the six month threshold, Mavi, who is a rapper, somehow managed to become the only artist that I can think of in, in years who played both Pitchfork and Lollapalooza in a three-week period. That is, you know, like, you know, again, the radius clause isn't, isn't what it used to be. I don't know the specifics of that. Those contracts are hard to get. Uh, Jim Duragatis is, is the one who's been most uh, dogged in digging up that information. And it's been a little while since he's reported on this. Um, and I'm obviously relying on, on his reporting. Um but the you know the the fact that that again this festival can book 200 artists it's it's owned by a subsidiary of the largest promoter of live music in the world it can it can offer musicians who are performing this festival way more money than they could get at any other festival at the same time a lot of musicians who perform at this festival perform elsewhere so many of the you know the the older the old guard Lollapalooza acts you know the um, the Jane's Addictions, the Smashing Pumpkins, the Foo Fighters, who I believe played last year or at least two years ago. Foo Fighters are playing Riot Fest in September. You know, there's there is a lot of back and forth between all these festivals. Lollapalooza, for as much as the city likes to pretend it's this it's this big deal, for as much as the people who stand to benefit from it 
locally tend to you know pretend it's a big deal and while it can get big acts because it has the the funds to do so it is not a, a culturally as culturally relevant as so many other festivals that exist outside of the city there's not a, a unique distinction to it aside from some of the big artists that it can book which some of whom tend to perform at all you know they perform at a circuit of festivals around the country coachella is a much bigger deal uh you know Lollapalooza tends to get the runoff from coachella so you know an artist will beyonce has performed at coachella beyonce hasn't you know in in recent memory performed at Lollapalooza. um uh, governor's ball on new york is a bigger deal you're right now you're seeing a shift in festival culture to much more niche festivals that are genre driven so the lyrical lemonade hip-hop festival that was in douglas park and then moved to the you know near south suburbs this past year is is like the big hip-hop festival in chicago now it's you know future headline this year it books i think close to 100 hip-hop acts that is a significant draw on the number of rappers that would otherwise might otherwise perform at Lollapalooza and Lollapalooza gets, you know, Lollapalooza, one of the big deal acts that performed this year was Kendrick. Um, you know, I can't imagine Kendrick performing at Lyrical Lemonade. He is, he is at a level that, you know, the only festivals he will take are the hundred thousand draw like Lollapalooza that can afford him. Um, but when you talk about the, the kind of performers who are underneath that top tier, um, the you know that they can go anywhere and again there's nothing like characteristically that really distinguishes Lollapalooza other than its size uh it is large that's not a benefit four days of a music festival is i think too much <laughs> it's it's too much i don't you know i don't know who has the capacity to go to four days of that it's four hundred dollars for a four-day pass and that's ga and this year one of the big stories that block club in particular has followed is the size of the VIP area in front of the stage, which, you know, those tickets cost thousands of dollars. If you're, you know, again, this is not, this is not a, uh, an event that is driven to benefit people who are interested in experiencing live music in, in, in a, you know, in a way that I would prefer. I, I like the more intimate performances, you know, a, a comfortable festival for me is one that draws 20,000 people a day instead of 100,000 people a day. If you, if you can't even get that close to the stage because there's a huge VIP section out front, what's, you know, what's the point of seeing some uh, paying $400 to see an artist on a, on a tiny screen, especially if, you know, we're talking about artists who might be in the middle of their career and can't perform to a crowd of that size. That's not their strength. Um, yeah, I'm not a big fan of this, of, of this thing. I'm generally, uh, festivals I've, I've gotten really burned out on them in general. It's great that people who are, who like that can go to it. Young people in particular don't have a lot of places to see music in Chicago year round and festivals are kind of the way to do it over the summer. Uh, and so, you know, four days of, of music might be a real benefit to a young person who can't go see, uh, you know, somebody because they're playing at a club that's 21 up over, you know, during the year. So I, I appreciate that things like that exist, but there's so many other events in the city of Chicago that are free sometimes and have great, you know, great musical bookings and that, uh, say something more about the culture of the city, uh, in part because they book local acts and they have like locals involved in the production. So, um, that was a great riff, by the way, uh, and uh, I could I could appreciate it. Uh, I, mean, I have never been attracted to Lollapalooza. It's just, I mean, it's to me, it's always been like this alien thing that has taken over the city of Chicago for those. You know, it used to be two days; it was four days, and and I know it's like a coming of age experience uh, for a lot of teens. So 
I know this because I had kids. I have kids, but I remember when they were in their teens and it's like all of a sudden everyone's going to Lollapalooza. Uh, and it's sort of like I was really struggling with it in those days, uh, Lior, because the culture at Lollapalooza, the, the indulgences of Lollapalooza completely contradicted uh, the city's otherwise get tough on uh, marijuana attitude uh, in <laughs> In, in, on like the west and the south sides. I mean, that's one of the reasons that one of the other reasons that I don't like it. Lollapalooza gets these exceptions that most other festivals don't, you know, um, and and, you know, Riot Fest it, being in Douglas Park is is a huge deal. Obviously, I'm I'm empathetic to the neighbors who don't want it there and, and want it out. It's it's gotten much more attention. Obviously, it's in a, a neighborhood where there are a lot of people, where there are three hospitals. It's more of a residential neighborhood than the Grant Park area. But Lollapalooza it doesn't get this nearly the same amount of attention, even though it's one of three events this summer that has caused real a real challenge for public transit infrastructure this summer. I mean, how many buses that come up from the south side or come down from north, you know, the north side? are usually routed through that area and don't have access to it because there are three festivals, you know, three big events that have taken over these parks. Um, yeah, the indulgences and and the way that uh, Lollapalooza is, is kind of given a free pass by the city is really interesting to me. Oh, it, and and it's, it's treated like a grand moment for the city of Chicago. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, so maybe the indulgences are at as profound now because uh, marijuana is legal, although I'll, I'm sure <laughs> the crackdown is still I'm sure there's a, a more severe crackdown uh, on West and South Side neighborhoods for open, openly smoking it in the public. Um, so maybe that front uh, isn't as um, obvious. Just in general, that just you described this. So the notion, like Riot Fest, uh, has sparked opposition because it's in a neighborhood, and the park district is coming to uh, finally coming face to face with the reality that not everybody who lives around the park wants that park taken off uh, away from the public for three or four days, so a festival could be there. It Lollapalooza is like downtown. That's treated as though it's like wide open to be uh, rented out whenever the, the park district wants. And I'm like, well, downtown's a neighborhood, you know? Uh, and it's it's not only a neighborhood, it is a place where teenagers from around the city often convene because it's, you know, it's in the middle of the city. So it allows people from all over to, to kind of meet up there. And we're seeing, we've seen a trend of teenagers being downtown, being over-policed, you know, being on the receiving end of a lot of anger because of these, you know, these takeovers. So if you're of a certain age, you can't go to a movie theater. You know, there's that movie theater, the Showplace Icon, that doesn't let anyone under the age of 18 in anymore without an adult. Uh, it, teenagers have so few places to gather to be with each other that, you know, the, the only option is to, <laughs> you know, the options available to them are to be in a takeover. I, that's an oversimplification, I realize, but it is hard for me to see public space that would otherwise be available for, for anyone to just walk around being used for a private good anywhere in the city, especially when young people, again, have so few op places that they can go to gather and be be with one another. If they have to pay $400 to do that, what's, you know, who does that benefit other than the people making the money off them? So have you ever seen the other side of the ledger? Like what does Lala bring to Chicago? 
you know, there there are always those surveys that are conducted by Lollapalooza. So it's, you know, take that with a grain of salt. And and I see the summaries, you know, the $150 million. I don't understand how that is calculated because, you know, is it a matter of of tabulating the restaurants that that get traffic? How do they figure out what those restaurants, you know, who they're serving? Are they serving people who are in town for Lollapalooza? How, yeah, uh, there, there's a... the amount of calculation that goes into that feels to me like way too big of a task to, to actually do in a meaningful way. So there are some obvious points of, of reference for the city making money. The venues that get after shows related to the festival, obviously, are, you know, they're charging people for tickets for that. They get alcohol sales from that. But it's, uh, you know, I can't imagine that they're getting more alcohol sales just because a performer uh, from Lollapalooza happens to be in the club. It's it it, it doesn't there's something is off to me. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I'd love to, to learn more about the survey process because that's a significant amount of money that is being spent in, you know, uh, four days. If you're including just the festival there, obviously it takes time for people to travel in and out of town, but yeah, how are the, how are the hotels? Are they booking more because it's Lollapalooza? And again, Lollapalooza isn't the only thing that attracts people to town. When we spoke on Friday, you mentioned the air and water show, the air and water show brings in so many people. I hate it too. I hate the ne- the noise it makes. It's uh, like I I hate how it it props up the war industrial machine. Uninteresting to me, but it's free and people stay in hotels downtown. It's you know Lollapalooza doesn't have this magical key that other play you know other events that happen in the city don't have. There's so much that happens in the city over the course of you know from May to October uh, that draws people to town. None of them are necessarily the same size, but, you know, Taste of Chicago before it got run out of Grant Park uh, during the middle of the summer this year, what it would draw like 1.2, 1.3 million people over the course of 10 days. That's a significant number of people. Like, what what are we doing here giving land to a private company? Listen, man, um, it's very bizarre. It's now you're going to get me going on uh, Chicago's uh, second city inferiority complex, which is really profound. Uh, and I watch it in action all the time. Uh, so, for instance, we talked a lot in this show about NASCAR. And uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot, when she cut the deal to bring uh, NASCAR here, uh, and Mayor, and after Mayor, <laughs> private citizen Mayor, uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot, were saying the same things. It's like, wow, what a tremendous success this was because it put Chicago in the national stage. Uh, and a lot of Chicagoans repeat that. I began the show by saying I, I'm, I'm always struck by the logic that my fellow Chicagoans follow, and I'm not from Chicago, so I don't really buy into the logic, Lior, uh, and I struggle with it, but this feeling that there's something special about Chicago because NASCAR has come here, like, th- that says more about you, Chicago, than NASCAR, and it's similar with Lollapalooza. Lollapal- Mayor Brandon Johnson was like he welcomed the, to the the greatest festival to the greatest city. You know, it it's like Chicago's got such a inferiority complex, and it's so funny. I'll, I'll let you riff on this now, but NASCAR, it's like NASCAR's base is MAGA. MAGA is the one that goes around denouncing Chicago as a hellhole. And so what? <laughs> what? Yeah, I, I don't I don't get the logic that's a NASCAR viewer who, who has been inundated with, uh, you know, 
if if we're if we're talking about a stereotypical NASCAR fan, if the stereotype is they're MAGA, they watch Fox News, they're inundated with anti-Chicago propaganda for years of their life. Seeing the Chicago skyline in a race that takes place, you know, the two to a couple different races that take place over a weekend isn't going to erase that. It's it's not going to counteract that in a meaningful way. If there's not a race that would attract them to town, why would they come here just because they saw it on TV? You could see positive interpretations of Chicago all the time on major, you know, uh, every time there's a Bulls game, they show the sky. You, you know, like this is this isn't unique to NASCAR. I think it's fucking stupid. Part of my language. <laughs> Yeah, you know, particularly dumb in the case of NASCAR. Uh, and even that. So but my point, the larger point I was going to make, there is never an attempt to calculate. Um, like just in un, as unbiased a way as you can. Like you bring in an accountant to go through your records for the year when you pay your taxes. Or you bring in an accountant to go through your records for the year to see if your business is making money so that you can continue the business. There's some... Uh, aspects of the world where precision precision is predominant and you need to know exactly, you know, a very precise calculation of what was spent and what was made. But when it comes to Chicago and the NASCAR, Lollapalooza, you just go down the line. Nah, it's all right. They just tell you, don't worry. You know what I mean? They, they, They treat you like like the Ohio Republicans treated the voters. Oh no, this is not about abortion. This, this is this is about your rights in a democracy. That's what this is about. In Chicago, that's how they treat you. It's like, oh, it's not about uh, you know what you lost when you took, gave your parks away. It's about the profound uh, importance of being on the national stage. I don't know if you can calculate that. All right, I want to know what impacts it have on musicians. That's that's part of a. It's a little bit harder to calculate because again, this is one festival. If you're a musician who got booked for it, you know that could be a, a big break. Again, this is a festival run by the single largest uh, live promoter in of of music in the world. So you stand to make more money off of that one performance than you might make off of a single tour. The challenge there therein is as Live Nation attains more power, what happens to the musicians who never make it to that level who can't because touring is so infinitely challenged uh ever get booked for this for this festival in the first place because they don't appeal to what live nation or what c3 in particular deems as good for for this festival which again this festival is all over the map i it doesn't have like a, a distinct identity in the way that it did when it launched in the 90s it booked uh you know uh, Goldman Sachs CEO to DJ on the the dance stage last year. Like this is, uh, they're all over the map. It's it's not a festival meant to appeal to a distinct audience. It's meant to bring in as much money as possible. So if you don't qual, if you if you make music that doesn't appeal to that sensibility, that's sort of the challenge. Uh, if if Live Nation continues to take up so much more room in terms of the 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 artist is willing to book at venues that it runs there are going to be so many people who hope to make music a, a career that end up not benefiting from that that's that's more of the it's it's kind of an imprecise thing to calculate uh yeah there 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 are musicians on that lineup who i think really barely scrape by because they're middle class they perform at two in the afternoon on a thursday they're not necessarily uh 
going to benefit hugely from this, but they still might make way more at this than they would on a two week tour. So there, there are benefits to those who play, obviously. Um, but in the long run, does it does it help indie musicians who are never going to get the attention? I I don't think so. So how do you get the attention of Live Nation? Yeah, exactly. Uh, you 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 have great Spotify stats. You you know you you have a certain amount of renown that doesn't you know doesn't require them to seek you out. Is sort of how I see that. Again, this is a you know Law of Plus is seen as this or people in power you know, uh, who, who praise Lollapalooza see it as this like cultural representation of Chicago. But again, about five local acts performed on this year's lineup. It doesn't say anything relevant about what's happening in the city musically. They, and those artists who, some of whom I think have been fairly popular, um, you know, there's the, the first openly gay drill rapper was one of the five booked this year. And he signed to Island when he was, 15 years old like this is somebody who's ensconced in the like mainstream music industry and only got booked for the first time this year it's you know uh it's it it's not a festival that cares about this city's music culture in in a meaningful way well i i could tell you that uh if Lollapalooza were to leave chicago uh and uh, move its operations to another city for this um event there would be an outcry from the uh, what I call them the mainstream about that this is another indication of the downfall of Chicago. They're, they would equate it to Boeing leaving Chicago, which had no impact on anybody's life whatsoever because they don't even have their factory here in Chicago. It was just a uh, it was just a corporate office in a building downtown, uh, and in that regard, it would make it try to stir in the public's mind, feed this notion that Chicago is like at this precarious moment where if it goes this way or that way, it will just fall into the lake and civilization will end as we know it. Go ahead. Sure. I mean, that's just that that perspective to me shows a lack of imagination. There are, you know, uh, four anywhere between like four to six big music events, outdoor music events that are happening in the city every every summer weekend you know live nation c3 they, they don't they don't hold the key to being able to book a festival that will draw tens of thousands of people they just happen to have the support and infrastructure to be able to do that in you know the the crown jewel of chicago parks because of the skyline like the Lollapalooza needs that element more than i think chicago needs Lollapalooza. You can do anything with that space. I think the outcry over Taste of Chicago leaving was far worse. You know, Taste of Chicago essentially getting pushed out of Grant Park during its usual time of year was worse than what might befall Lollapalooza. I think people in general, festival culture is on a downswing. There's too many happening around the world. And this one, and this one is a fairly minor one on a, on a national stage. Um, it's, you know, uh, it is the largest one here, but you know, folks are going to spend way more trying to get to Coachella than they are going to go to Lollapalooza and Grand Park. Yeah, no, the taste, but that's a whole different fallout. The taste, so taste of Chicago fallout are ordinary Chicagoans upset because something they like has been taken from them. Uh, and that's treated with like a little sniffy disdain, like a NIMBY thing, you know, almost a NIMBY thing. It's like, oh, well, come on, you're getting in September. Uh, NASCAR is bigger because. It's on TV or, you know, the people come from out of town here. Again, it feeds into this just mindset, this incredible second city uh, inadequacy, the sense of inadequacy in Chicago. 
Go well, ahead. I think Go you're ahead. also hitting on something that that really bothers me. If if the Chicagoans are upset about losing something, it's you know it's whatever. But like the tourists, if the tourists are upset, oh no, now we've really done it. We've we've ruined something. Like yeah, of course, of course, it's great to have people visiting the city and tourists to come to town. Uh, there's plenty to attract them. That is, and you know, a festival that books red hot chili peppers every three years. Like, <laughs> <laughs> were they there this year? Yeah, they were one oh, of the headliners. Okay, did not know. That. <laughs> yeah, again, this is a festival that just it's it's not designed to appeal to a specific type of listener. It's designed to get anyone to show up, and it's it needs the you know the aging Gen Xers as much as it needs the eighteen year olds who want to do drugs. Yeah. No. Wow. Uh, the aging Gen Xers as much as the 18 year old. I get to go to Lollapalooza. Get and again, I don't, I, I don't, I, I realize that sounds dismissive. Um, it's, you know, it's great that there are large scale events for people who want them. I don't understand why it has to be this large scale event. You know well, what I mean? Okay. So this is, a, I, I really don't want to go down this road, but Again, it gets into the whole attitude, like the concealed attitude of Lollapalooza as a coming of age event where you're allowed to go with your friends, get shit faced, vomit, roll in the mud, get freaking high, try every freaking dr- drug in the world you can. And it's not only permitted, it's celebrated. You're treated like you're somehow or other like doing its great noble deed for the city of Chicago. Meanwhile, your parents, trust me, are losing their minds. Oh, my kid. (laughs) And it's this like bizarre little game that goes on every summer uh, when it comes to Lollapalooza. We're like, we're supposed to regard this as this great cultural contribution to the city of Chicago, when in reality it's driving a whole bunch of people, particularly parents, insane. Go ahead. Sure. I mean, kids are going to find a way. Kids who want to do that are going to find a way to, to do it. Uh, I've seen some really awful things like teenagers who are just so strung out that it's worrisome. And I don't know that, you know, uh, the block club reported that hospitalizations were down, you know, d- despite the fact that the park uh, opened up 15,000 more people to come every day. So it's 115,000 people max per day. I don't, you know, I don't know if there's a shift away from from how teenagers are interacting with or engaging with recreational drugs at the festival. Um, but my concerns are always like, if kids want to do that, they're going to find a way to do that. How do we provide the infrastructure to help them if they're in trouble? And I've seen some really not great displays of that a lot of places, and that's concerning to me. Um, I, you know, at the, at the same time, I think about like, you know. Milwaukee is Summerfest. I'm envious of Summerfest because it's like a two, three week, I think it's two and a half week long festival. It's the largest music festival in the world. I mean, it's it's nonstop performances, you know, for weeks and it's so inexpensive and it's in a designated space that is just for that festival and you can just, you know, anyone can walk through and I've, you know, the same shenanigans coming in of age shenanigans can take place there, but there's much more of an infrastructure in place to engage with people who are interested in doing that. And I appreciate that way more. I wish we had, you know, uh, I frequently think like, what if Soldier Field just became the designated festival grounds? Let the Bears go to Arlington Heights, let them go to Naperville. I don't, I don't care. I mean, it's, it's, you know, if, if this is, if we're thinking of Soldier Field, I know that, you know, there's soccer games there too. But if it's just exists to have a 
football games a year, that space could be used, it could be employed in a much better way that would uh, benefit more of the people who live here. So, wow. um, that, yeah, that's a real pipe dream. Though. Well, that's, uh, that's another tangent. Uh, I'm not sure I want to walk down right now the soldier field, the bears, but again, uh, a, uh, an absence of any kind of analysis, any kind of thought, any kind of planning, uh, like what's the best way to use Soldier Field? Are the Bears uh, actually bring a productive source of money for the city of Chicago? You don't get any. It's all inside deals uh, cut by the mayor and uh, whatever crony has access to the mayor. That's the way it goes in the city of Chicago for the Bears, for Lollapalooza, for NASCAR. Uh, just It goes on and on. And eventually, I think, uh, if the neighborhood, like the downtown as a force, Lior, as a community of people, is expressing itself more and more, particularly on law and order issues. You, you can see the votes, the way they're voting in the elections. Uh, there's a greater support for conservatives. And Paul Vallis did very well in downtown Chicago. That will be a force politically that could shape decisions like, do we have to take Grant Park away from the city for NASCAR? Do we take Grant Park away from the city from Lollapalooza? That could be, you know, limiting access to who gets into, as you said, into movie theaters downtown, into the Millennium Park downtown. These are all issues, I think, down the road uh, that ch are challenges, I say, down the road uh, if the downtown community starts expressing itself politically. Go ahead, your thoughts. Oh, yeah. I mean, downtown strikes me as one of the most suburban neighborhoods in the, you know, uh, in the city that the, I don't, I don't understand how people are able to create a, a distinctive sense of community when everyone lives in, in high rises. Um, I, I don't mean to besmirch people who choose to live that way. If they get a lot of it, that's great. But, uh, there's a certain level of disconnect that, that happens with that. Um, and yeah, it, it does, it does, um, not sit well with me to think about who might not be able to use public spaces that exist downtown because they're underage because they are, a, you know, a certain color. Um, I, you know, obviously I don't think segregation is coming back <laughs> in, in, in any way. I don't mean to suggest that, but you know, the, those public spaces downtown are for everyone. And, uh, that's been slowly, uh, removed the, the, it, young people have, have obviously been kind of kept out of, of some of those spaces in, in recent years. I never thought I would see Millennium Park gated up, like to have to go through security checkpoints in Millennium Park is really weird to have to show ID after a certain period of time uh, to, you know, to again, appreciate Pritzker Pavilion when that's when it's showing a, a movie screening. That's really strange. Um, that doesn't that doesn't make me feel any safer. It makes me sad that people can't get in and can't have, and don't have access to this thing that I've appreciated for so many years. Yeah, no, it is definitely a sign of the times. Uh, we, I've gone to a lot of millennium uh, park concerts this summer and man, the, uh, the way they have that place like cul-de-sac to try to figure out, to find your way to get in and, uh, they won't let you go through this entrance. They 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 direct you. They funnel you to certain extra uh, entrances so that they can search your bags, etc. And so forth. And I'm like, wow, this is not. <laughs> this is my my grandfather's Millennium Park. All right, I'm gonna uh, for, <laughs> uh, for, force you uh, uh, kicking and screaming. I'm, 
uh, into a debate or a discussion that I had at length uh, with the great Ramana Hussein and uh, from the Chicago Sun-Times. Uh, and this, this debate, I was two weeks ago, I want to say, uh, very popular debate that we had. A lot of people listened in on it. And it really wasn't a debate because we kind of saw eye to eye. But Taylor Swift versus Beyonce. And not like as musical performers, like which one you like better. No, that's not the issue. The issue is the city, mainstream Chicago's response to the phenomenon of the Taylor Swift fans and the Beyonce fans. Uh, these are two hugely powerful performers in uh, in the world of music today, maybe two of the most influential, you know it better than I do, uh, Lior, in the world of popular music, Beyonce and Taylor Swift. They each came to Chicago this summer, uh, Soldier Field in each case. I think two perf- two concerts each. And um, man, <laughs> To read the, the, the again the mainstreams, Taylor Swift's crew of supporters was the greatest thing that happened to the city of Chicago uh, since what? Since NASCAR came to Chicago. Uh, Beyonce, not as much, not as much celebration for the Beyonce fans. I'm like, what? Why not the love for the Beyonce fans? Go, Lior. You know, I think it depends on where you're getting your your information from. Uh, you know, uh, older infrastructure, you know, older institutions, reporting institutions in Chicago gave much more attention to Taylor Swift. I believe her tour earned more money than Beyonce's. I mean, what's uh, maybe? Don't quote me on that. Um, it's it certainly made headlines for getting as much money as it as it made this year. Again, I think part of that has to do with the ticketing snafus. Um, the extreme cost of of attending taylor swift which is why i think more media outlets were interested in that i'm you know ben i'm the only full-time staff writer focused on music for any newspaper in the city of chicago music as uh, as a force for something that media outlets are looking at is at this point a matter of what is most popular now what is the thing that people that editors who have no sense of what's happening in the world of music know about if they've heard of it, then they'll send somebody to, to cover it. That's why Lollapalooza gets as much interest as it does. That's why Taylor might have gotten a little bit more interest than Beyonce. The Tribe did incredible coverage of the Beyonce shows. Um, so that this is a, a, a media issue, which I think is also what bugs me about Lollapalooza because you know the media around here spends so much more attention on that than it does in what's happening with music in the city year-round. That bugs me. That, that really irritates me. We're, you know... This is a this this city is incredible and and has such a like a profoundly fascinating music culture and history, and but you know unless it's Live Nation unless it's a you know a Taylor Swift tour it's, it's not going <laughs> to get that much get attention coverage at all. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I mean that's 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 again that's not to say that like the the Taylor the interest in Taylor Swift isn't genuine that that she you know she yeah the her her concerts like completely change traffic patterns in the city. That's fascinating. That's a, that's a huge impact. But I think that also says something about who is attending the festivals, the money that the average Taylor Swift consumer uh, has versus, you know, the money that, you know, the, the amount of money that people who attended the Beyonce show make like that's, there are different variables here. I prefer Beyonce. Um, wow. You just blew my mind with the, 
with the outset. That was a great riff, by the way. Um, but you just like you're the only full time music writer in the city of Chicago. And when you set for working at a working at a newspaper, yeah. I must I must <laughs> stipulate. Man, things have changed. That gets into the Spotify issue, and we really run out of time. But this is, we should probably do a whole other show on this one. But just just the difficulty, the challenge. So he, this whole show has been dedicated to the challenges that performers have making money uh, in uh, with live performances. Like if you, it's dominated. The, the the market's dominated by a handful of mega corporations uh, that just, you know, they have too much power. Um, so then we get into, well, you can always sell your records. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how much money uh, artists make selling records anymore since they feel compelled to give it away for free or relatively free on Spotify. Go, Leor. Well, you know, the cost of pressing vinyl is high. Vinyl records are not cheap these days. You know, the the average price for like a larger musician for a record is anywhere between $25 and $35. That's, and you know, a lot of that goes back to manufacturing. If you're on a label, it goes to the label. The, you know, what the artist might see is is relatively minor. And you're pressing maybe, depending on the size of the, an act, maybe 5,000 records. You don't want to live with a basement full of records if you're an indie musician. The, it's, it's, you know, it is something that indie musicians can make money off of. And it can go a little bit further than any other format to sell your music. Um, but you have to be of, uh, but again, I think it benefits indie artists more than other artists. Uh, again, I realized Adele sold more records of her last album any, than any other album that came out that year because it's a novelty item. Um, so the novelty of it at some point will wear off. People will continue to buy vinyl, but it's not as, as large of a market as it was when that was the only format for listening stuff. It's, Impo- you know, merch sales go a long way for touring artists. T-shirts go a long way for touring artists. But, you know, I don't listen to music because I like a T-shirt. I, I, I want to support the artist in a meaningful way. You know, the primary way to do <laughs> that that uh, that people hear music now is through YouTube. It's through Spotify. It's through places that don't pay per a cent per stream. That's That's messed up. And there's no real way that musicians can unionize against that because of antitrust lawsuits um that's that's one of the challenges right now musicians aren't employed by spotify or youtube their their work is is on a contract basis um so the the challenge of one getting united front (laughs) together because you know spotify divvies up its payments on uh you know like via pie chart versus per stream uh it's it I, I don't mean to diminish it. I do think that there's there there is going to have to be a big change at some point soon. But uh, realistically, right now, it just feels impossible. I don't know how that change will come apart. About uh, I think about this a lot, Lior, and I just don't see how it come up about in the music scene. Go ahead. I mean, Spotify is a tech company. Uh, <laughs> tech companies aren't aren't exactly built to last very long. It's you know at some point it's. I, I don't think I don't see Spotify lasting that long. For me, the the issue when I think about that is how much of our cultural history is tied up in a streaming service, how that will disappear. Or, you know, if you have a library on Spotify, if you have playlists on Spotify and that's how you remember that stuff, if you are relying on Spotify to keep a record of your listening, that is going to disappear at, at some point. Um, I don't 
you know, I, I don't know how long Spotify can really last. That is is how I see that change happening sooner than them paying a cent per stream. Wow, it's deep, man. That is a whole other conversation. But I could tell you right now that um, where I am in my life, musically speaking, uh, is I live on Spotify. And I, I think I may have shared this with you before, but uh, I've just constantly listening to new old records in other words they're new to me but they're ancient and so my friends really know jazz they're like ben man (laughs) welcome to that party but you know but i like what am i gonna do without spotify i guess i would have to go like to an old record store maybe that would be cool go to an old record store and uh you know dig through like i used to do uh and try to find stuff on cds go ahead I mean, you know, Chicago has a, a really wonderful infrastructure of independent record stores. So it's not like those that that is an option for you if, if you want to do it. Um, I mean, I yeah, I listen to music digitally more often than I listen to physical records. And I have, you know, thousands of records. I have hundreds of CDs and tapes like I, I will collect music however I can. But often I'll, you know, when it comes to, to stuff that's like really hard to find that I'm not going to pick up in a record store that's not even on Spotify, I'll listen to it on YouTube because that's that's the only place I can find it. Like the our, our digital libraries are, are going to be shifting every once in a while. No, these are all corporations that are that are, you know, holding this this music. It's not like a, a museum or a library. So your point is, is that it's who holds the, the, the collections, who controls it. So Spotify is a company that exists at the moment. It could be swallowed up by another company, uh, which could go bankrupt, whatever. I, there's, so then what happens uh, to that digital library? Um, I mean, that did, depending on if Spotify dies, so does the library, you know, like obviously artists and labels retain their, you know, their, their masters and everything and they have their own digital files. But if you, uh, if you're only listening to Spotify, you got to find another place. I, you know, <laughs> Apple, Apple music is, is, is a fairly, you know, is another streaming service. Again, it's a tech giant that, that yeah, it's, uh, it's, yeah. So, okay, I now will show, reveal my staggering ignorance as we close uh, this conversation. Not afraid to do that, Lior. So, just because music I listened to, uh, I was listening to, like, Sonny Clark, who's a great uh, uh, jazz pianist. Just because I'm listening to him on Spotify, I could still listen to him on YouTube uh, and Apple, correct? I just choosing to listen to him on uh, Spotify. Go ahead. Well, that's that's sort of the the interesting thing. Like something that appears on Spotify, depending on whatever the contract exists, might not appear on Apple. Some, you know, there's some rappers that I listen to who will put an album on Apple two weeks before it appears on Spotify. Uh, it's it, it might not be on YouTube, or five people have uploaded a different version to YouTube. It's you know, it's a hodgepodge out there, which is interesting as a listener um, to to kind of track down what's available to you. I think I'm going back to CDs now. This conversation has sent me up be going back to some uh, old record store like I used to do it before I discovered. Before the pa- I'm going to blame everything in the pandemic. Yeah, with Leora's I mean, pointing. these are all CDs right here. You're yeah, you're 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 preaching. Wow. And a little shout out to Aaron Cohen for uh, frequent guest on the show to talk about music. Uh AC, uh he he listens to albums still. So, um you know, he's got one. When he comes on, Leora behind him, like 
a lot of records. Oh yeah, I mean, uh, there's there's a you know a vinyl tower right there. There we go. Yeah, <laughs> Leor just shifted you know. the camera a little bit. <laughs> yeah, uh, my office my office is is a bit of a mess, but there's media all over it. So, all right, very good. Uh, Leor Galil, a great writer for the Reader. Uh, every Wednesday, his newsletter comes out. Uh, I think it's. Uh, Sometimes you're like in a meditative mode. You're like just chilling. Other times you're angry. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's like, what's he going to be like today? Uh, I think it depends what my deadlines are. Yeah, deadlines will do that to you. Uh, thank you very much, Leo. I appreciate it. And uh, keep fighting to fight it. All right. Yeah, thanks for having me, Ben. All right. That's the great Leo Galil. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody. 